0: Part of advocating is telling the story. I, I want people to know how much this sucks. And it's not because I want sympathy or empathy. It's because I want people to feel righteously angry with me. Don't feel sorry for me. Be angry with me. Be angry enough that you want to go and fix the problem so that more people from Texas don't have to move here to be safe.
1: I've really been wrestling with how to talk to you all about the massive amount of legislation that's been introduced or is being introduced in every state and every legislature in the country. But I've already done all these episodes on how important it is to vote for your kid. And you've heard from me and my provider friends about what it's like to watch states pass legislation and how fearful we are for the families and other providers who remain in those states. I guess that was years ago, but I have mentioned it at various times about legislation and I've even talked about how glad I am to live in the Pacific Northwest where I know that the rights of trans kids will remain intact. But the fact is, even from my treehouse tower here in the Pacific Northwest, I feel the effects of the bigotry of other states. The kids and families I work with daily are scared. Their extended families are confused and sorting through the misinformation is overwhelming. As of today, which is August 15th, 2023, there are 358 active pieces of anti-trans legislation in 49 states. That doesn't include the 80 bills that have already been passed, and it doesn't include the 128 bills that have already failed. This isn't going to stop anytime soon, y'all. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host, slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham, but you can call me Mac. For many families with a trans kid, being affirming means getting a crash course in privilege. This is much more true for white families, but I think it's true for any family who hasn't had a transgender person in their family. And what I mean is that they're losing or they've lost the privilege that they had as a non-trans family. And now they're learning the very painful reality of what it's like for those with far less privilege across society. I truly believe that privilege is a blinder. It could be compared to as a disability. We just don't know how the world really works because of all of the privilege we have based on our many other dominant identities. Today we're gonna hear from a dad. He moved his family from Texas to Washington for the safety of their entire family, for his trans daughter, for his gay son, for his marriage, and for his own life. He's a white, cisgender, middle-class English teacher. Mitch and his wife made the very difficult decision to relocate their family after it became clear that staying wasn't safe for any of them. Even now that they're moved, they're still in the messy middle of transitioning to a new life in Washington. They miss their friends, their community, their coworkers, and the many things they loved about their life in Texas. After the interview, I reached back out to Mitch and I asked him what he had learned about his own privilege throughout ongoing trauma. And he said, I think about my own privilege as a cishet white man all the time especially in my family situation, but most especially in education. That was really challenged when I interviewed this summer to be an anti-racist instructional specialist. Getting that interview prompted my wife to even ask me if it was my place to be interviewing. And I said, if they called, it means that they don't have anyone else and my place is to prepare the way for a new generation of voices. And then he immediately shifted the conversation and asked for resources for another family that was moving from Texas to Washington, but they were going to be living in their car until they could afford the deposit on an apartment. One of my core values, and one that I've tried to instill in the podcast, is the power of showing up. There have been so many times in my career when I thought I am not the right person for this. There's someone more qualified than me, someone smarter, someone with better credentials. These are thoughts that I continue to struggle with even about doing this podcast. It was my brother that reminded me, if you're the only person that showed up then it really doesn't matter. You're the expert now. I want to leave that with you all. I know you feel lost and like you're screwing it up most of the time. And maybe you are. And that's okay. 83% of adults believe they've never met a trans person. You have a chance to be the expert and the voice that your kid needs and other kids need every day. Some days you'll be too tired. And that's okay. Every day you'll be afraid. Most days, I hope you'll also be brave. So I always let people hear their episode before it airs. I like to give them a chance to add anything or change anything and make sure that everything that they're saying is what they want it to sound like. Also, it gives them a chance to think one more time about, do I really want this in the world? And they always have the right to take it down later. So I sent Mitch his episode for review and he asked if he could add a little bit to update since so much is changing in his life so fast. Here's what he asked me to add. Raising kids like ours is really difficult, but what makes it all less challenging is having an excellent partner. I've done a lot of the talking, but my wife Tiffany does so much more. Tiffany took our daughter to buy nail polish the day after she revealed herself to us. She encouraged me to speak time and again and then finally took her own turn at the podium, too. We got connected to so many resources so quickly, in large part because TIFF's network of online groups and people. It's our lockstep approach to parenting that pushed us through the move and into our new life. After everyone's initial shock, things have gotten so much better for all of us. TIFF landed an excellent gig with a nearby city. I went to a campus that is much like my old one in all the right ways. Most importantly, though, my daughter, the person we moved to protect, is very content. For the first time in years, she didn't seem to experience any of the depression or grief the rest of us felt on day one in the new school or work routine. She's even continued into the fall with musical theater. We've received a ton of love and welcome from the Seattle area, and that's the opposite of how we felt before we left Texas. Thank you. Thank you to the wonderful Western Washington community. Hi, how are you?
0: Great. It's a pleasure seeing your face, Mackenzie, and getting to hear your voice and see your face at the same time.
1: Yeah, you get to do both at once. It's exciting. Uh, thanks for doing this.
0: Uh, my pleasure, honestly.
1: How's your kids? Uh,
0: my daughter is okay. She got to go to a musical theater camp last week in Issaquah, and she it was her first time doing anything like that at all. Um, you know, she kind of dabbled in choir a bit in elementary school and then chose the band route when she hit middle school uh, in Texas. But we were desperate to get her the heck out of the house. She was holding up and nesting in her little room. She absolutely enjoyed herself uh, completely, and she did every day. It came out looking the same way. And um, I think, you know, for her, especially. It was her first encounter with like a social setting up here since she got here. She's been really just alone. And this, I think, because she's 12, almost 13, she can't fully articulate things. But I, as a parent, can see the impact something is going to have on her in the future. And I'm not, and, and this isn't about her future in musical theater, although she is interested in it now. Um, but it's more of, We got to go on the last day. They they showed us a couple of the songs and dance moves they've been working on through the week. And they had all the kids introduce themselves. And they were immediately like name and pronoun. And several of the kids were like, you know, she, they, he, they. You can't make any suppositions about anybody else who used a streamlined pronoun. But um, that would have been her first encounter in a social setting with kids just openly identifying as something non-binary or gender fluid on some level, she's never been in a social environment ever where that's part of the etiquette of the space. And so, I know that for her, that had to have that. There has to be an important moment in her development as a human being. And and the first time I, as a parent, got to see my kid feeling like she belonged somewhere, and that was extraordinary.
1: I'm coming off of like ten hours of therapy, right? Like I did therapy from nine to seven. And then we sit down here and you're starting to talk and I'm like already crying. I'm like, that's, that's fatigue for sure. But also like, I just know that as we talk, I'm going to probably cry more and just know that I'm a crier and it's fine.
0: It's okay. So my Mackenzie and I, and I no longer know if that's because I'm nearly 41 and my testosterone isn't what it used to be, or if I've just had an incredibly emotional, like, Three years of my life that have has had the most extraordinary roller coaster of things going on, and I just no longer have much emotional boundary anymore. But uh, I'm pretty quick to tears these days myself. So, um, and honestly, I'm, I was feeling a bit weird today too. And just sitting here talking to you is already making me feel a little more energetic. Um, but I was it, this is my first day doing anything related to my job in forever. We have this this training out here in Yakima. And, um, okay you know, my wife talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you know, she went through a really difficult couple of days when she started her job um, with her new employer. And, and I, I didn't dismiss her at all, but I thought I would be immune to it. I I guess I'm not. And that's like the realization that like, this is your new thing. Like I'm I'm doing this training session. And for the first time in five years, I'm the new guy. It's, it's left me in a, a really like, Kind of like I was feeling genuinely like sad and depressed a little bit, um, heading into dinner. Like I just, I don't know. Like I, I missed my colleagues in Texas fiercely today.
1: You know, I tell parents all the time when I'm working with them that the that the grief is not what you think it is. When we talk about the grief of that parents go through when they have a trans kid, right? Like your kid's not dead. Nobody died, right? So it's not the grieving of the loss of your child, it's the grieving of the loss of the knowing. And in your case, and I think in so many cases, your whole world is getting flipped upside down. And it's not because she's trans, it's because the world sucks, right? Or specifically in this case, Texas sucks, right? It's not her fault, but that grief is real, you know?
0: One of the parents in my communication channels in Texas had moved last year to... Uh, state in northeast somewhere and she was sharing with those of us still in texas a few months ago that like one of the hardest parts for her as she like like tapped into the local community of lgbtqia people and parents in the support system is feeling guilty that she was sucking up the energy in a room when people would just ask her basic things about her background and her story and she said it was really, really hard to experience that, and I. And today was one of those, again, one of those firsts for me. Like, as people are like, "Oh, yeah, you came from Texas." Well, you know, what what brought you up here? And it's it's not a happy story, Mackenzie. You know, like, and, and I'm I'm a very vulnerable and open person, and I don't really know how to like like edit myself sometimes, and so like, I don't really think too much about not just telling them. And then next thing you know, people are like, "Oh my, oh my God!" Like that. That's really like you know extraordinary that you had to do that. I'm so sorry. And I just I I could feel the energy sucking out of the room from just sharing the the most basic thing about me. And I, I would feel like a liar to say anything other than the truth. You know, I could just say, oh, you know, we just wanted to find a better life for our kids or whatever. And I suppose I could do that. But that feels false to me. Like, it's that's not that's not a truth. And I do still feel like I have a mission to advocate, part of advocating is telling the story. Like, I, I want people to know how much this sucks. And it's not because I want sympathy or empathy. It's because I want people to feel righteously angry with me. Don't feel sorry for me. Be angry with me, right? Like, be angry enough that you want to go and fix the problem so that more people from Texas don't have to move here to be safe. And that's that's why I'm in.
1: Or one of the many other states where they're we have people moving?
0: Oh, yeah. I I tend to just think singularly with Texas because, you know, I've been living in that that pit for the last like eight years of my life. But uh, yes, all of them, all those spaces down there that are forcing people to make very challenging and difficult decisions. And the closer it gets to September 1st in Texas, the more heartbreaking the messages are becoming from the parents who are still there, scrambling and terrified because their kid is running short on their testosterone or their estrogen hormone treatments and the doctors will not prescribe anything past september 1st they'll they'll give them a two weeks prescription to get them to the end of august and that's the best they're going to get because the doctors even though they could legally write whatever they want right now they're terrified that it'll be used against them and their license and their their, their career later so they are denying them any additional prescriptions past that cutoff date and it's it's horrifying.
1: It's so scary. Uh,
0: for those families. Several of the clinics in, in other states that are nearby had originally opened their doors and set appointments and then began canceling them because it became clear that they were gonna have to pay out of pocket and their hospital system for whatever reason is not comfortable with the out-of-pocket status for these families. They don't they don't have a financial infrastructure to support the out-of-pocket stuff in case people don't pay their bills and I mean, there are people who say that diagnoses of kids with gender dysphoria is this movement to make the pharmaceutical companies scads of money and hospitals a ton of money. But there's a world where it's not a matter of them making scads of money. It's a matter of them overcharging for something. You know, like like, uh, there are hormone blockers that will cost the insurance company $250,000 for your kid to receive them. And that's... I can't, I mean, I'm I'm flabbergasted by that cost, you know? Like that's a quarter of a million dollars for a single hormone blocker. And as upsetting as that price is, we're talking about a very small number of people. So it's not like these insurance companies are gonna be making and raking in you know, billions of dollars off this industry or whatever. Like it's and and we as parents can't control any of that. So I'm guessing that the hospitals make their choices based on those kinds of costs and saying like can we swallow that cost if these people will pay and I'm I'm guessing they, they can't and what they've been told uh, the families in Texas have been told by these systems is not it's not a permanent rejection it's a we need to build the infrastructure first and we don't have it yet so we're gonna you know wait list you or whatever and then we'll reach out and let you know when we're able to take them but that's not it's not helping these kids in the immediate who need this like, like tomorrow you know it's challenging. And it's parents who made it out, I feel like almost I have this requirement to read their tragedy in my phone because I escaped. And and then it puts me in this trap of like, I, I want to move forward, but then it's hard not to continue to feel that anger for these families. And that's, that's also really challenging.
1: Yeah, I get that. It's a really hard balance to be... In the place of, I want to be able to do something. I feel like I have much more capacity to do something. And also, you and your family just experienced a really intense societal-based trauma. And you should get to heal.
0: Yes. And we definitely have been not on the sidelines. I mean, like, I I made untold numbers of speeches at the school boards trying to to fight because our school board where our kids went to school in Frisco, Texas was one of like Frisco Frisco ISD is one of like the premier school districts in the state of Texas. And it was looking like it was about to fall like in the train of dominoes like some of the other now very famous school districts did. Uh, South Lake Carroll um, that started with CRT and then turned into this this anti-trans stuff um grapevine Colleyville and uh keller isd they all fell and succumbed to the um what people now call the moms for liberty groups but to be honest like the moms for liberty weren't named and active at the time it was this other stuff that was doing it there was a uh a pack by this christian mobile phone company called patriot mobile that was funding a lot of it at the time actually holy crap um that, that company went bankrupt, as I understand it. Um, they use all their money and influence to flip school boards because they learned that people don't pay attention to those and they could leverage entire congregations of people. And Frisco was looking like it was about to be the next domino to fall. And when they go in, they clean out man. they fire superintendents. They release teachers who don't conform, administrators who don't conform. They make things as difficult as possible. For all the more progressive thinking educators, to the point where they'll just leave, and they somehow thought there would just be more teachers to replace them, and it turns out there's not. So they're about to need a whole lot of crow. Um, but they came for our kids. You know, they came. They wanted to make changes to bathroom policies. There was a, there was a school board member who uh, made the news for harassing uh, a trans teen at the Texas Association of School Boards task and uh, he went to this session where they were they'd invited this this kid and his mom in to talk about their experiences, um, her as a parent and he as a student of being trans in school and just sort of you know advocating for themselves, their family, and other kids and families like theirs. And um, he took time afterwards to confront this kid one on one and said some pretty awful things to this kid that were really uncomfortable. It was, yeah, yeah. I said, I mean, you're shaking your head because it's awful. Like, why would you confront this kid afterwards who's not your student? This isn't a parent in your school district. You had no business talking to this kid one-on-one like this. And then there were witnesses who caught him doing it. Um, I don't want to go into the politics of all of it, but anyway, um, all these things were going on this year and I kept having to go back and back and back. And I really worked hard not to retread the same stories that get told by trans advocates or p- parents of trans kids. There's so much focus on the suicidal rates. There's so much focus on the harm done to the kids. And all that information is just super easy to find and whatever. And I thought, I, I it's not winning anybody. Like nobody's being moved by that. You know, I was, I was teaching college rhetoric to seniors in Texas. So, you know, I, I thought about you know, what would I tell my kids to do like, what would I tell them to do like, like what's, what's the alternative narrative? Like, what's the purpose? Who's my audience? Like, who am I trying to sway? You know, when I'm speaking at the school board, am I really talking to the board members and not really because the right kinds of school board members still had a majority. And so the goal is to move an audience behind me and listening at home in order for them to understand something about my family and my kid and our needs so that they would pay more attention to what's going on. And so I began using this like uh, on, on my TikToks, I began using you know this hashtag joyful resistance, right? And, and I, I began telling the stories of our kids' successes. How has the school done well for our child? Because this is the hard part of Mackenzie is that like our daughter was well-supported in Texas. Her teachers, her administrators, and let's and, and not even, our daughter was the first child to identify as trans in her elementary school ever. She transitioned mid-year, Mackenzie. How old was she? She was uh, 11.
1: So is that fifth grade, sixth grade?
0: She had just turned 11 in fifth grade. They had to navigate the student, changing first her visual appearances and then her name, and then her pronouns in the middle of a school year with a bunch of fifth graders. Can you imagine like how challenging that would be for a bunch of educators who had no real, like there was no guidance, you know? There's no guidance for it. Like they were on an island and she had this principal who had made a couple of comments to me at one point that made it pretty clear where his politics lie. And I'm not going, I'm about to actually praise him a little bit. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm about to go negative on this. Right. He made it pretty clear where his politics lie. Uh, One of the most important comments was I moved to Texas from California so I could be free to be myself.
1: Mm. So you do with that what you
0: will. (laughs) But something about that California mindset had already left California with him. uh, And so he just kind of like went into customer service mode and took care of our kid. Like, made sure that she was supported, that she wasn't being harassed. My daughter learned how to be kind of judicious with the times that she bothered to bring it up when something something had to get pretty bad before she bothered to say something. Uh, and so they learned to trust her when she said she was having a problem. Um, because she was a fifth grader, she'd been at the school for a long time, so all the teachers kind of knew where her heart and her soul was anyway. So it was, again, really easy for people to believe her and listen to her. But that principally went so far as like when it was yearbook time, the last thing we had thought about was her name in the yearbook. Like that photo was taken in September before she transitioned. We hadn't considered it for one second that in the middle of all these other things, these other things that we're dealing with day to day that we should email him about the yearbook. Uh, he called me out of the cold uh, one day and I got—I was teaching and I see this call from the school. So I was like, oh, crap, guys, I got to step out. Like this is my kid's school. So I stood down the hallway and answered, and it was the principal, and he was like, Hey, I just um I was going over the final proofs before we submit for publication. We just our last chance to make some changes. And I noticed that your child's name was the old name. And I wanted to see if you guys wanted that or you wanted to use the name she's going by now. And I said, Oh, for sure we prefer her preferred name. Yes, absolutely. Uh and he said, I said, Thank you so much for making this phone call. Like, we didn't even think about it. And he fixed it immediately. Like Every yearbook she's had has had her name in it. You know what I mean? Like the school always took care of her. And so I'd go to these school board meetings and tell these stories. Like this is a story of my child being celebrated and affirmed and loved by her teachers. And this is why she's received these awards. It's why she's, you know, got straight A's. It's why she, you know, tests off the charts. She's not feeling any of the academic consequences from a kid in turmoil because the school picked her up, you know, and. And the drastic change from the year before when she was depressed, having suicidal nightmares and everything else to this moment now where she's thriving, you know, is a story of success. So instead of worrying people about extreme consequences that are hypothetical, I decided to share the joy of what's not hypothetical. A couple of months into my, my advocacy, this woman approached me at a school board meeting I'd come to again. Um, and she, she sat down next to me and she said, I came here two months ago to speak out in favor of harsher bathroom policies, and then you spoke, and it really got me thinking, and I went home and I talked to my kids. So I have six kids at home. Three of them are teenagers, and I and I sat down and talked to my kids, and we had a, some really long and important conversations, and I want you to know I'm here today to speak and stand with you. And that told me then that like I'm doing the right thing Like joyful resistance is the way to go and so anytime I've gone and given these public speeches it's always been about celebrating what is good for my kid instead of laboring on what was so terrifying before because it's just not working the stories of terror the stories of, of horror the terror of the consequences in the future it's not moving the needles of people it, it's not it's not helping change anybody's hearts and minds so I thought I, I gotta I got to flip the narrative and there has to be one. You know, my first couple of visits to the school board, it was me and like two other people. And then like literally a sea of like 60 people going to the microphone and saying God awful things. And I get home at the end of the night, emotionally beat down, disrupted, angry, damn near in tears, emotionally drained. And I'd somehow have to get up in the morning and teach again the next day, bothered by all this. And I felt so like alone, like just truly isolated and alone. And again, one day I I went to go get some coffee in the morning and I saw this, uh, this friend of mine and, uh, you know, this other, this other guy I knew they were, they were both dads and scouts. Like I was, you know, my kid was in scouts for a long time when she identified trans, we pulled her out. She wasn't super into it anyway. And her two closest friends that she really wanted to, to be there for. We're going to be her friends regardless And in fact like that family has been my child's saying goodbye to them. was the hardest thing ever. Um, they loved our kids so much that we moved up here two weeks later, they were already visiting. Um, so, uh, but anyway, um, there's these 200 scout dads and, um, I went over with my coffee and sat down with them and we chatted and, you know, they asked, you know, how come you guys, how come you guys left so abruptly? And so, you know, I explained to them, And, uh, one of them, man, like he, and and it's a guy I was never pegged for this at all, but like, like he teared up and said, if I had known why you guys were leaving, I wouldn't have let you leave. He said, I, I would have supported your kid. She would have been safe in my, in my Cub Scout pack and in my troop and scouts hundred percent. I would never have let anybody say anything or do anything to her. He said, "I, I just, he said, it just, it breaks my heart that he felt like you had to do that and then they said like anytime you need somebody to speak with you i'll be there you just call me and i did the next time i had to go speak because i i that that sense of isolation was so profound i did actually reach out and ask ask them to show up and and god bless the Mackenzie, they did you know
1: crying again
0: um and i learned then too that I, i worry that too many other parents of trans children don't believe that they actually have supporters, I worry that they're they're too they're so afraid because of everything going on in the world around them and all the rhetoric that's so negative all the time. I'm, I worry that they aren't they haven't learned what I learned and that's that you have more hours than you realize, but they don't know that you need them because for all that we live in this world so fiercely in in this in this bubble of information about this very specific topic, for most people this doesn't pain their radars whatsoever. They just Walk through their lives, and it's it's totally nothing for them. They don't they don't market, they don't read the articles, they don't pick up the TikToks, they don't they don't look at that, they don't have that in their Twitter algorithms, and so they don't know that you need them until you say something. And I learned to start being very direct. Like I'm going to do this thing. Will you come with me? You know, I got to go make this speech. Will you come make one with me? And I I found that I had more partners and allies in that than I might have guessed in the first place. You know, I I had another. I had a friend tell me. That my daughter's powerful acceptance of who she is and her willingness to own it in our fight for her had finally given him the strength to admit that he was bisexual to his to his wife and his kids. Cause he had never admitted his whole life. We're talking about a dude in his forties, Mackenzie.
1: Yeah, I believe. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know what to say about that, you know, like
1: the kids are doing some really powerful work for the adults in their lives. They don't even know it.
0: And boy, howdy, man. My daughter, my daughter was, you know, she didn't, I mean, she's not like she was introducing herself saying like, hi, I'm, you know, so-and-so and and I'm transgender. It's like, but she isn't afraid to wear a button, you know, supporting trans stuff. She likes to wear the pink and blue clothes, you know, she likes to, you know, she doesn't exactly hide who she is. And, she, and in her school environment in Texas, she could, she transitioned in the middle of school year. Like that's with her. That was going to be with her for the rest of school. Everybody would always know she is. And the courage and bravery it takes her to go through that. I mean, I don't even think she understands how courageous she is on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, probably not. Because she's just being herself, right? Right. right. Like She, she doesn't, doesn't know realize she's... that that's not something people do. You know, we, and we hit
0: as best as we could some of the negativity from her, you know, um, it's not like we had secret conversations or whatever, but um, we definitely didn't necessarily sit down and talk to her about the threats around her or whatever else, because we didn't want her to see threats where none might exist. You know, we wanted her to be able to, to navigate that and allow, you know, that when she got into counseling, um, before she started her transition, after she just told us that this is who she might be, um the counselor the work that we we asked the counselor to do was you know i my daughter can speak for herself with you we don't it's not our job to tell you how she's supposed to feel your job what we want you to do is just give her the strength to advocate for herself most importantly with us as our parents and with others around her like she needs to feel confident enough that she can speak up for herself because we will not know what she needs next in her journey. If she doesn't tell us what she needs next and we're here to support her. So, you know, give her the tools to build the confidence to be able to talk to these, talk to us about this.
1: Okay. So hold on a second. Let me timeline this out. So your daughter came out. It sounds like at first to you or to you, to your family, right? Like she told yeah, you, and your she, wife.
0: she told my wife uh, at, the a, at the end of a long night, like a doorknob confession, we'd been to a soccer tournament and she dropped it in the last five minutes of an hour long ride home. You know, like,
1: yeah, she just right.
0: bomb and it like disappeared to her room. <laughs> and so then my wife came in like white eyed. I mean, we're talking like, oh, I, I'm still trying to process something, but we need to talk. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that it, it really caught her like, like off guard. You know, I mean, we had a long conversation with her that night, and the next day my wife took her to buy some fingernail polish because she just the first step was just what do you need to feel like who you are? And she said, some fingernail polish. So that's where it began. And that was November of 2021.
1: Were y'all in school? Like, were schools back open in Texas at that point? Oh, yeah.
0: No. Yeah. We, as soon as August 2020 hit, they were like, get back in there. So, yeah, November 21.
1: So, November 21, she comes out. Um, and then you start to figure out what she needs. You, you, when does she come out at school?
0: I mean, as soon as the weekend, the the weekend she tells us about what's going on, I sent an email that Sunday night to the, to the teachers, because as a teacher, I know that if a parent reaches out and warns me about something, I can be much more productive about supporting. Right. So we send an email saying like, look, you know, is, you know, wanting to experiment a bit with, you know, a feminine appearance. And so she may start coming to school with like fingernail polish or, you know, girl clothes on. We are 100% supporting this. We just wanted to let you know so you can make sure that she's safe at school. They're 100%. They're like, yes, absolutely. And, and, and I'd be done immediately using they, them and my emails to them um, to talk about my daughter because I didn't know where she was going to be. Actually, to be honest with Kenzie, I had a feeling
1: <laughs> that she
0: knew she was a girl. Uh, my wife took a little longer to come around to this feeling, but we also didn't want to put those words in her mouth. You know, again, I wanted her to be the first to say things. So I didn't use the she, her pronouns or even ask her if that's what she needs. yet. You know, we just, I just started using some nice gender neutral terms in my emails with the teachers. They reciprocated those gender neutral terms right away. Love that. Um, and uh, yeah, they caught on pretty quick uh, and they just kept her safe. And, you know, by, December we'd gotten um into the uh into a gender clinic. They connected us, you know, with the social workers who got us to the list of counselors and um you know the counselor they hooked her up with, man, that woman was badass. Like I have a feeling she was burning bras, man. Like this woman <laughs> was God, she's such a badass. Anyway, uh she is a tough, tough woman. Uh, she's been fighting for a long time. She's from Oklahoma originally. has been living in Texas for a long time at this point. She's, as, as, a, as a gay woman, she's been in this fight for a long time. Uh, and my daughter loved, loved, loved going to see her. And um, she did the job she was supposed to do. And then she had a sleepaway camp in February of 2020, uh, 2022, for fifth graders. That was, um, you know, this... They go to like a like a camp where they drive out on like a Tuesday, the overnight Tuesday night. They spend all day Wednesday doing a bunch of camp activities. Thursday morning they get up, do a few more activities, and then go back to the go back to town. Right. Um. So it's two nights at this this camp. And by then we had just discovered because every year in February my wife and my daughter and my my wife's best friend, my former sister-in-law, they would go on this what they call the bakery tour. So every year in February, they would get up, they would plan out like a week in advance, like all the bakeries in the Dallas area they were going to hit. And they'd spend a the day just hitting bakeries all across the Dallas Metroplex.
1: That sounds amazing. And they
0: come back and bring us all the goodies. So February 2022, they, they went on the bakery tour. And that was the first time I told my wife that she wanted she, her pronouns. Okay. Um, We kind of noticed that her two close friends, that the, the, we call them the twins because they're twins. We noticed those kids had begun using she, or her, talking to her and about her and her presence. So we kind of already suspected that she was making moves with her social circle, but she hadn't told us yet. And so she finally told my wife on that bakery tour. And then I go to the, I'm obviously going to sign up as a chaperone for this camp because I ain't no damn way I'm sending my recently transitioned kid to this sleepway camp without her parent <laughs> involved as a chaperone. And she had to stay in the boy cabins because she hadn't yet identified as she her, nor do I think she would ever have been allowed to see anything but the boy Cabot's, uh, given the, the nature and tenor of Texas stuff, you know, so by being a chaperone, I got to be there, and when I arrived to get ready to get on the bus, her teacher comes over to me and says, okay, I really hope I'm not crossing some boundaries here, but has your daughter, has your has your kid started using she her pronouns, and I said, it's funny you say that. And so I tell her what I just told you about the twins. And I just was pleased. Like the teacher had noticed, you know, like and was look, look, looking to this opportunity to come talk to me because she wanted to make sure she was using the right pronouns, talking to my kid and about my kid. And so she could help navigate the landscape in the classroom space of doing it. And, um, you know, not long after that, my my daughter made her first like flamboyant appearance as a girl going to, A symphony field trip and she wore a dress to school for the first time and that began the conversations about the bathrooms because up until that point even with she her even with names she was still just using that boy's bathroom she just was going during class time alone so she wouldn't have to deal with like all the stuff with the other kids but she had begun to deal with those questions for the kids around like well if you're a girl and how come you're using the boy's bathroom and so the as soon as she wore the dress, I said, well, she cannot go into those boys' bathrooms wearing that dress and with her hair as long as it's got. She cannot, 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 cannot. My wife and I were like, what are we going to do? I was like, I'm going to email the teacher and I'm going to say it's time to put a plan in place. So they, they built a plan for her for the field trip. And then uh, we spoke with the principal and her counselor the next day at school and got stuff served for her to use in nurse's restroom. And they, it, again, just constant quick responsiveness. So by the end of, you know, by May 2022, my kid had fully transitioned to being a girl. School had absolutely facilitated that process by keeping it safe for her at school every day and making sure that people are using the right names and pronouns. By the end of that school year, there was only those one or two kids left just being assholes, you know, deadening her on purpose to be cruel. And it was just one or two kids. So my daughter was like, no dirt off my shoulder.
1: Right, she's got it.
0: Screw those guys anyway, man, they're not important to me you know, and in sixth grade, it was the same, you know? Um, and so from, from that point on, May 2022, I mean, everything's just been kind of cruising along for her. She's, she's who she's supposed to be. And
1: yeah. So she's going through this, you're supporting, you're being supportive. You're like trying to, you're having these great experiences at school, um, or at her school. Um, and at what point did you start to realize like the other side of the coin and how dangerous things were getting
0: well this this actually spins more into my conversation as an educator because and this is something i I would not want to walk away from this podcast without saying this because i need this to be heard and by as many people as i can and that is there is a narrative out there that educators are indoctrinating kids that we are pedophiles indoctrinating children and turning them into transgender kids through some transgender contagion i'm here to tell you mackenzie that if it had not been for my students i wouldn't have been ready for my kid like it was watching the negative consequences of what happens when families are not affirming and loving their kid when they are being rejected for who they are by their families those kids taught me all the lessons I needed about what to do when my child came to me. And that was, she sees nothing but me saying, I love you. What do you need? Because the kids who don't receive that, it's, it's, uh, I would use expletives, but I don't want to ruin your podcast, but it's tragic.
1: It's devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, um, I had a student for two years in my English classrooms as a sophomore to junior. And this was a kid who, when I first met them, they were known by everyone as as Rainbow. And this kid was the most flamboyant, Hispanic, Latina, gay person you can imagine. I mean, like makeup that would make most women jealous because she was so good She's at so applying fierce. makeup for herself. Fierce nails. She'd show up to school in heels and like short shorts, like unapologetic. And but definitely identifying as male and just a gay male. And this kid struggled really hard with a lot of marijuana use. I'm sure alcohol too. Attendance issues. Grades were way down. And the more I got to know this kid, the more I learned that like, they had been living with an aunt through most of middle school who supported this kid's desire to be this way. And so they had gotten really accustomed to this, but at a, at a certain point in high school, they got into the back with their parents and the parents were not okay with this at all. And then the more trouble that this kid got into at school, the more they took this stuff away, thinking this is the cause. And I sat down on a meeting with this kid's parent where they were, where they, they literally had just thrown away all this, all, all the nail polish, like this, this kid this kid had gotten a job at Sephora. Mm-hmm.
1: You know what
0: I'm saying? Like that's how good this kid is with makeup. You know what I'm saying? Like this kid got a job at Sephora and mom made this kid quit that job mm. and threw away all the nail polish in front of him because they kept getting in trouble for ditching class and smoking pot. And I remember one particular conversation in junior year, this kid had been, she'd been tapping her nails all the way through my class period and chatting, 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 chatting. She, oh boy. She was a chatting Kathy. My God. <laughs> so hard not to get her to talk um dear to stop talking and I, i pulled her aside when i said okay can we let's talk for a second you you have you have a you have a charisma and a charm you keep telling me that you're not the one that's inviting the conversations that you're not the one who starts talking you keep saying that they come to you i was like and i believe you actually i said because you have so much charisma and charm that they want to be involved in conversations with you. I said, I need you to recognize that that means you're a born leader. I was like, when you ditch class, you've told me in the past that you don't mean to ditch with a whole group of people. They just follow you out of the building. I said, that's great that you don't want everybody else to get in trouble with you, but then they do it anyway because they want to be around you. Right. I said that, is an intangible quality of leadership that you can't teach or coach anyone into. I said, you are a born leader. And I'm asking you and pleading with you desperately to please lead them by getting them back on task. (laughs) 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 Just tell them I need to get my work done so they will get their work done. That's all I'm asking. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then COVID hit at the end of this kid's junior year, and I didn't see them for the entire, like their entire senior year, because they, they'd obviously chosen a hybrid choice, right? Because <laughs> they were never, they're already having attendance issues. Um, and at the end of the school year, um, they came marching into the building. Now, by the time we left for COVID, they weren't wearing makeup. They'd stopped wearing heels. They were wearing a lot of pants and jeans and loose-fitting shirts and just trying not to, not to ruffle the parents' feathers, so near the end of the school year, at the end of this hybrid year, it was the first time I'd seen this kid the entire school year. And they came tromping down the halls in their heels. And they had this nice this skirt on. And they had their makeup done. And they just looked confident. I hadn't seen that version of this kid in two years. And I said, I am so excited to see you. I said, I have been, I've been so worried about you. I said, you Cannot possibly be living with your parents anymore, can you? And as as she got closer, as we're talking, I see like her sweater from a distance look put together, but it's actually kind of disheveled and a little bit dirty, right? There's like just these little frays at the bottom of her pants, like her heels had like scuffs on them, right? And she said, No, mm -mm, no. I moved out. I was like, Of course you did. I said, Of course you did. I said, So, guess I said, I've, I know that like renting and housing is horrific right now. She said, yeah, well, I, I have an apartment now with my partner, but um, we spent a couple of months living in, my, living in a car. You know, she said, I have a job at, you know, a retail store. And uh, guess what? They offered me the, a, a, a job as like a shift leader. They, they're promoting me. I was like, that's because I told you last year that you were a leader. And I told you, if you could just get through a school, you and got to the workplace, you'd find that somebody's going to value that somewhere. I was like, and all you had to do is just get out of a place that it has too many demands on you that you don't have value in and go to a place where you want to do your best to earn more money. And of course, they're going to see this intangible thing about you and offer you is, I'm so excited for you. Um, they ended up having to be a summer graduation. They had a lot of credits to make up, but, um, you know, and, and she she had a, a new name, a new name and a pronoun and, and everything else. Like she was finally getting to live her true self. And it was glorious to see her living this truth. And so when my daughter comes to me, Mackenzie, and says, this is what I need. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take her at her word and believe her and immediately show her nothing but love and support, because that's just one story, Mackenzie. I could tell you several more that were terrible. You know, and all the other things that come with it, you know, kids who are ESL uh, and have to do these stupid tests to exit out of the ESL program to involve oral communication. But they're trans and dysphoria comes with a voice that they don't that doesn't belong to them. So they don't like to talk at all, ever. You know, uh, at, at the beginning of COVID, we were relying heavily on Google and the Google emails are their dead names. And that's what shows up when you go to use classroom boards and discussions and everything else. And then they don't turn things in because they don't want to see the dead name or have it associated with them at all. you know. Like, And, and, and they can't get a change because parents have to approve it and their parents don't know. It. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, wow. Yeah. Ah,
1: mm-hmm. ah. so, so parents have to approve name changes in Texas?
0: Oh, God's yes.
1: They don't in Washington.
0: Oh, God's yes. Yeah, no, I know they don't. Uh, <laughs> but they definitely do in Texas. Um, absolutely. Um, so when I go to fight, For my daughter, I'm not just fighting for her, Mackenzie, I'm fighting for that kid in that hallway in those disheveled clothes who had to be homeless for a couple of months just to be her true self. I'm fighting for the kid who can't speak because their voice brings them dysphoria and they can't get exited out of an ESL class. I'm fighting for the kid who played baseball secretly (laughs) as a trans male. Because nobody gives a shit about what trans males do. No. They only care about trans them people. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones we're worried about. By God, keep them out of the women's sports. But trans males can do whatever the hell they want. Nobody seems to give a shit, Mackenzie. But I'm still fighting for that kid anyway. Right? Like, like I'm fighting for for all those kids in addition to my own. Because my daughter is my world. But I wouldn't have her in the way that I do. I wouldn't have been so ready to support her if it hadn't been for the kids who taught me what it meant to be trans before I got there. And, and obviously Mackenzie, like I, I, I had lost my faith in religion a while back. Like, and it's not that I, I don't actively think about God at times or whatever, but I'd, I'd, begun, I'd become so like, dissociative from the organized version of religion that I'd stopped really acknowledging my own belief in anything for a long time. But I, I, I have to say Mackenzie, like, like for me personally, like the hand of God is all over all of this for me. And my wife one day said, how is it that we ended up with a gay son and a trans daughter? Like, you know, when our, our son came out to us a few months ago, like how, how, did, how, did, how did we end up with two queer children like this? Like we didn't, because we didn't do anything to create this situation. Like, it's just, you know what I'm saying? It just, it just arrived. Like we didn't talk about this stuff extensively with our kids. You know, they, they'd ask us questions about somebody who's gender ambiguous in the grocery store. And we just say, I don't know, kid. Like, I don't know if they're a man or a woman. Does it really matter? Like they're just being who they are. Like just say hello and move on. You know, uh, we never made an issue out of it. My daughter didn't even hear the word transgender for the first time until she heard it from a student asking her if she was transgender <laughs> because she was wearing pink fingernail polish to school. You know, like she went out and talked to us about it. At the other day. Like, like am I transgender? You know, like she didn't even know that that term existed because we weren't using it yet. She was only just wearing fingernail polish and thought she might. In the inner head, I think I'm a girl sometimes. Like, that's literally all we were at. And for, for weeks, it's how it went. until the transgender word came from somebody else.
1: It's usually, it always, it usually comes from somebody else. That's something that kids say a lot when I'm working with them, right? Like, when did you know? And they're like, well, I always knew something, but I didn't have the word for it. And then I finally had the word for it. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing? Yeah, it just, they don't know.
0: We just built guilt that it took our kids being who they are for us to finally get on this advocacy wagon for it. Mm -hmm. We do feel guilt that like it took us having our own queer children for us to decide it's time to speak up. And I, and I wish I had done more sooner than what I did.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting the way that everything sort of unfolded for you. And when did you start speaking at school board meetings?
0: Uh, The first one was April of 2022. Um, That was the first time I spoke and I, don't even remember anymore exactly what that discussion was that got me in there, but it was something that had me righteously upset. uh, So I showed up. Um, I definitely think that my, my choice of of doing that and that joyful resistance tactic is a lot of the reason why my kid got so much support when teachers hear you saying wonderful things about them and school boards, because our teachers were always watching those damn things. I'd get emails afterwards from, from teachers at campuses and stuff. Like, thank you. You know, i had actually stood up for the teachers at the start of COVID, you know, because I don't, I didn't teach in the same district where my kids went. So when they, a group of parents tried to force our schools to open sooner than what they should have, I went and advocated as an educator instead of as a parent. And I got a bunch of emails in too, like, oh my God, thank you so much. Because teachers are always afraid to speak at their own board meetings, you know, because uh, they, they, they hold your contract. So yeah, April 2022 was my first time going up in front of the school board.
1: I love this joyful resistance thing. Um, so jess who's been on the podcast a lot uh and i talk a lot about how we hate how so much of the message is around suicide prevention right um and like that's that's the only reason you should care is because these kids might kill themselves um and that's it's yeah there's so dark it's so dark and it feels extreme to people and they're like okay you're like really blowing things out of proportion Um, and so it's really hard for a lot of people to hear that message. And it's just like, it's just not what it's about, right? We want kids to be able to thrive. We don't want them to just not kill themselves. Um, and the thriving aspect and talking about the ways that they thrive, I think also makes the people in their lives, those other teachers, like they feel influential and they, they don't feel powerless in the situation, right? Like they, they know they're doing a thing. The thing that they're doing is helpful. Um, And it's not just, oh, here's another way I'm going to screw it up. But I mean, so many of the queer stories that we see portrayed in media and in literature have historically just been these sad, sad, sad stories. And that's what they watch. That's what they read. That's what they are being told. That's what their life experience is going to be. And it's that's just not true um, in so many cases. And I think that the more they can see that their life isn't going to be this terrible, sad story, the more likely it is that we're going to see more of that joy.
0: Here's the other master stroke of joyful resistance. Because again, I was, a, I was teaching rhetoric and I made very clear and distinct decisions to do this. It's not just, this is what I decide to share or it's on a whim. I mean, I, I've thought this through a lot. And one of the other things that it creates too is it continues to dismantle and this is why they don't like it. Uh, it dismantles their chosen lifestyle for their kids who may choose something else. Yeah. Because what happens is when we joyfully resist and share stories of joy and success, as me as parents and folks who are themselves LGBTQIA, when we, when, when we share the joyful stories, especially when it comes to family dynamics, we're putting the lie to what the these kids are being told by their parents that what we are doing is somehow wrong and that what they are doing is right. And we're the ones who are, who are making the mistake because then they see our kids thriving and succeeding. And they say, if God blesses those who live a life according to his word, then how the hell are they so blessed? You know, like, like where's that blessing coming from? You know? Uh, and it, 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 un- it dismantles their story that they tell their kids. and, I'm sorry that that happens for you, but if your kids want to buy into your lifestyle, that's their choice and their prerogative. But it doesn't mean you get to take away mine. You know, I, I'm sorry that my kid's success does something negative for you, but that's really unfortunate for you. That shouldn't be my problem.
1: Great. That's your issue.
0: That's your challenge to navigate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious about something. We're talking about all this joy stuff, which is really awesome. And, of course, I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the sad stuff is not the fun stuff. And I'm curious if you're willing to share a little bit about what the mental health impact has been for you as a parent and as an advocate.
0: Yes. Okay. So, settling for the ride. I'm in. Um, the final nail in the coffin for us moving up here was my mental health. I was hyper-focused on this advocacy stuff. Because in anything you do in this world, if you're going to do it well and be excellent at it, it takes complete dedication to it. And advocacy is no different. To start with, you know, I'd, I'd been doing the local school board stuff, right? Easy peasy, like, like standing in front of a school board, whatever. It didn't take much of a conversation in our household. Like our kids need protection in their school, you know? We didn't really even think people would necessarily notice as much anyway, but then like a, a, one of the local news circuits interviewed me right after one of my speeches uh, you know and it, and it hit the news there and I started to realize like my name's kind of you know could potentially be put out there now, I never hit any kind of a level that drew the attention of some of the other Texas advocates got We never experienced that kind of harassment you know we're not that important you know so I don't want to make it sound like I'm selling myself as this ultra important figure or whatever but uh, when the bills got filed in November, dozens of bills, all written in variations of take away my kid's healthcare, take away access to athletics, take away this and that. I knew we were going to have to go on a journey if like, so we pulled our kids in because we begin to see the possibility we would have to move. Right. My wife and I were already kind of looking into the future and seeing like, if things go the wrong way, we may have to move. And we had a family meeting and we made sure that our kids were comfortable with me being public as an advocate. How far are you willing to for your dad to go? Are you are you willing to let him be in newspapers or on TV? Are you willing to, you know, risk his his name being put out there in spaces? Like how far are you willing to let your dad go in his push? And the kids, you know, cuz part of that conversation it was also wanting to make it clear to them that if we have to take the worst possible step of moving, ripping our lives out of Texas and moving somewhere else that we were not making that choice unless we were dead absolutely certain that we had done everything we could possibly do to fight for them before we got there. And the kids said, we don't want to have to leave Texas. Dad needs to do whatever he needs to do. So I made the choice right then to not just randomly speak at school boards, hope somebody notices. I began intentionally seeking opportunities to reach out to folks or to whatever, you know, the, the local news service had actually, they, they filmed a whole interview with me and then put it in the can and never put it on television, um, which kind of upset me, but I didn't give him what he wanted. Um, I wrote a couple of op-eds over time. Then when the legislation started coming up, We got involved with um, some of the local trans organizations that do a lot of that kind of advocacy and dissemination of legal protection information and stuff like that. You know, again, I don't want to name things because I don't want to draw attention to them, but they are there and they are, God, they're so amazing. Um, I got to tell you, Mackenzie, everybody who is queer in the United States needs to go to Texas and spend a day with those people down there inside those organizations and learn from them because the networks and resources and just absolute badassery amongst those, those people, it's, I promise you it's probably one of the strongest networks of LGBTQIA allies, supporters, and people in the country because they've been in this fight now for a decade, Yeah, you know, like they, they had the, they started building in the, the grassroots a long time ago. And so they are very loud and very powerful. Um, so anyway, uh, I got in contact with them and then uh, in March they called for a day of advocacy where they wanted, you know, uh, the community to come down and they were going to give us the names of like reps and senators to go to offices and visit and talk to ahead of the legislative session to try and just get in the minds of people to fight, right? Go to the Democrats, and get them to fight, go to some of the moderate folks and get them to fight, get them to care, right? So... I decided that day that like i really wanted my daughter to see that i wanted her to see some part of this advocacy somewhere i wanted her to see that there are people fighting for her i wanted her to see her dad fighting for her i wanted her to see i, I at this point she hadn't even seen the trans people mackenzie you know what i'm saying like i wanted to see you know so i took her down there with me for that day of advocacy and she mostly just played on her phone but you know she really cute dress and she had her hair like really brushed out nice and wonderful. And, you know, she saw trans women for the first time in her life. Like it gave her something to see of what, cause you know, for those kids, it's really hard to see who they, who they might be in the future. You know, like they don't
1: absolutely yeah don't
0: have a lot to look up to, uh, in the visible world around them. No, they don't. And so, uh, I wanted to see all that stuff and, and she did get to see all that, you know? And again, she was, She was was only 12 at the time, so she she couldn't possibly articulate to you that this is a core memory, but I know for a fact it will be. Um, And so uh, there's an image of she and I in the atrium of the state capitol building that has been used by Reuters and the Stringer Service all across the U.S. over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And 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 when I tell you what's in it, maybe you'll remember it. Because it's me and my brown jacket and my daughter and her beautiful flower dress looking somber next to a giant gay T-Rex. <laughs> and, um, and it's everywhere.
1: Yeah,
0: It was everywhere for months associated with every article about this um, negative and positive. Uh, that's when for me personally, the mental health stuff probably really began by like, taking a nosedive because I started to feel angry every day. And I, and even coming away from that day of advocacy, I still felt really alone because I still hadn't, there weren't really any parents around that day, McKenzie? Mm. you know, mm-hmm. like that day it was mostly just local Austin queer folks doing the job. You know, there weren't a lot of people who had driven down from Dallas. Like I had for that particular day of action because the legislation hadn't started. And by the time I got to the day where the actual hearing occurred for House Bill 1686, where they had public comments opportunities. Um I was unbelievably angry. An anger I've never felt before, Mackenzie, and I, I hope to God I'd never feel again. Um that day was transformative for me though, because I finally stopped feeling alone. Like 1686 was a horrific nightmare. Like I, I showed up at 6 30 in the morning to make sure I got a place in line. I drove, I got up at 2 30 in the morning. And left my house at three o'clock in the morning to drive three hours from Dallas to Austin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I get down there, and on the steps outside the building, I see these like this camera crew and this, this this group that had like you know folks my age, and like there was like a couple of little small kids that were about my daughter's age kind of in the crowd, but I wasn't sure if they were my people or not, because at this point everybody's dressed for a hearing, not for advocacy, you know what I'm saying like like there's a difference between like The performative advocacy, like we're gonna be seen outside protesting and like I need to be professional to stand in front of representatives and senators, right? So I'm looking kind of like around a little bit and I I was at that point wearing an advocacy shirt myself because I knew I was gonna put on, I wanted to be known as an ally because I am a white man in Texas. Uh and And if I was addressed professionally, it'd be very easy to see me as a threat instead of an ally. So I made sure that I began my day in my advocacy years and I swapped into my, my professional stuff for the second half of the day when I thought the public comments might begin letting us in. Shocker, uh, it did not uh, begin for us until like 10 o'clock at night. But anyway, um, and it was Vice. It was the Vice camera crew there following around these couple of parents who'd been doing this every legislative session for like three sessions. You know, these are like the power brokers of Texas parent advocates. Um, you know, one of them, uh, you know, Frank Gonzalez was just in a documentary that Dwayne Wade put together about dads that featured Wayne Mains of Maine. Um, and, uh, you know, this collection of dads because Dwayne Wade, wa- Dwayne Wade wanted to show dads who support their trans kids. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a, a very clear and specific group he wanted us to, to to showcase as being a part of this conversation too and to be truthful i are not a lot of other dads out there doing this kind of work there are there are and there's more of us now than there was i think even a year ago but um you know most of the people around us are women and unfortunately mckenzie divorced women like i like these this transgender stuff kills marriages man like it, it shatters marriages because one person may not support and the other person does. And it tends to be the mom who loves to support and the dad who says, absolutely not, especially when it's, when it's, a, when it's a, an AMAB trans femme situation. Um, anyway, they see me lurking. they see my shirt and you're like, Hey, you're one of us, man. Come over here. And that's when like I stopped feeling alone because I spent the whole day with these parents, you know, these other parents, I got involved in this app for communication with them the real nose dive hit when the bill went to the floor for the vote. And that was when I I made a statement out loud that began to really concern my wife. By that point, I'm already seeing a therapist again and I'm doing it weekly because I know I desperately need this. And at one point she thought I might be a good candidate for IOP because of it. One of the, the parents was present. When one of our, you know, trans advocates, um, a non-binary person was tackled to the ground by the state troopers in the, in the, in the, in the, state legislature in Austin, unnecessarily tackled charges were all dropped because the Austin DA was like, no, we are not prosecuting this. Absolutely. Not. Um, when I texted my, this other dad and I said, I'm really sorry. He, he wanted to get like this coalition of dads to go do a sit-in protest. And I was going to go, my wife, Begged me not to, because she knew the state I was already in. And when I, at the end of that day, when I see the the, the Twitter videos of this person being tackled, and I sent my my friend, his other dad, a text, and I said, how are you feeling at the end of the day, man? I'm so sorry I couldn't be there. And he said it was brutal, and he'd been standing right behind that person who got tackled. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, Mackenzie that, If I had been there that day, I would have been standing there next to him. And if I had been present when that person got tackled, McKenzie, I would be in prison. Because I would have done violence without a question. My, My barrier to that would have been shattered. And I would have gotten myself in a lot of trouble. At one point, I found myself saying, I'm glad I don't have a gun. Because I'm not sure that if somebody got in my face about this stuff, that I wouldn't use it. And when I realized that I am saying these things out loud, Mackenzie, I've never been violent in my life. I've been in one fight when I was in like seventh grade. I hit a kid once. You know what I'm saying? I swung one time. Uh, I, I didn't even like the sparring part of Taekwondo when I was a kid. I like the form. I don't like fighting. Um, I'm not a violent person. And so I knew I was broken. And then the Allen shooting happens. And my students are talking about it during the school week. And at this point, my wife and I had begun to actively apply to some places in Colorado and Minnesota and Washington. We weren't really sure where exactly we were going to go or if we were even going to go there. But we knew our daily motto is an option is not an option until it is an option. So we've learned to put all the options on a table and the place that you're supposed to go will flesh itself out. And it's worked for us our whole marriage. But we weren't really committed to it yet. And one of my students came to me, one of my seniors, a, a conservative kid actually. Um, and all my kids at this point, I've spent a year, you know, modeling my speeches as like how to use rhetoric. So, and I, I was very open about the fact that I had a transgender kid at home. And it's worth knowing the class had a topic of gender, race, and ethnicity. So this is not out of bounds stuff in this class, like this collegiate level class discussing these topics. Like it, it refuted the rules of Texas at the time, precisely because it was college course credit. Um, so this kid comes to me and says, I'm, I'm really worried about your kid. I said, why? Well, my friend has an alt account on Twitter and he saw a video the other day of a guy loading a rifle with a you know mask on his face and saying that if any of those trans folks come anywhere near him and his family, he's, you know, you know what I'm going to do as he's loading a rifle and sir, in the background, there's a. A Lone Star High School flag. Mackenzie, that's the high school my kids were zoned for. Ooh. Like this guy's in my neighborhood somewhere. Yeah. You know, like this guy is really, really close. Days after some nut job with a Proud Boys vest discriminately shot people of color in a parking lot full of white folks. In that world, that just happened. In that world where I see the Proud Boys logos and the 1776 logos and the 3 percenter logos on vehicles all around me, I said, I am done. And when I came home, and I tell my wife this and and I express the level of violence I'm willing to go to, she says, that's that's it. I, I can't. I can't have my children struggling. I can't have a husband who's going to end up in prison. I can't do this. Yeah. That's it. We're done. We're moving. Like, that's... That's what's going to happen. And as I sat here today, like thinking about the upcoming school year in a new state when I'm supposed to be out of fight or flight mode. And I find myself like thinking way too much about what do I tell my students? You know, like I can tell them that I have a transgender kid. It's, it's effing Washington. Like I'm not worried about knowing you have a transgender kid. There's, Teachers everywhere with, you know, like pride flags hanging in their classrooms with no questions asked. Like, I, I'm not worried about them responding to that. It's more this other stuff. Like, all these things. Like, I, I just, you know, today I was, I'm wearing uh, this rubber, blade, rubber bracelet that I got from Brett Cross, who's one of the dads of the Uvalde kids. Um, when we were there at the White House for the Summer Pride celebration, which... Was extraordinary, by the way. Um, and so, like, I just think, like, I, I'm carrying all this with me in this classroom space, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how to like talk about any of that. Like, sir, what'd you do this summer? Well, I went to the White House to the Pride celebration. How the hell did you get to do that? Well, uh, because they tried to, you know, take everything away from my kids, and I fought against it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I can say that stuff, but I, I don't want to cross, like boundaries either you know like as an educator i still have to monitor professional boundaries about politics it is important i do firmly believe in not bringing politics into the classroom at least not on my personal politics as much as i can that barrier shattered last year Mackenzie. i was on it last year i did i was terrible man i am lucky that i didn't have parents reporting me by the end of the school year
1: because <laughs> i was
0: very loud about my frustrations uh right, right, right. I I did my best to always offer a different outlook, but my God, man, like how can you go through all that and then show up to work the next day in a room full of seniors in high school discussing race, gender, and ethnicity and not end up in these conversations. Anyway, so, so here we are now in Washington and we are, we are not totally in a better place. I mean, we are now navigating all, like I shared at the beginning of the podcast, like this, the navigation of like how to, Go through the grief process of realizing that is very like it doesn't become real for us. It feels like a vacation. We're just in a new apartment. We're in a new state. We're exploring new things until the day you return to work, which begins the real life routine, right? And then you show up to work, and, you, and it's like, oh, oh my God, I really am not back, and I'm I'm nervous for my kids' sake that if we're going through this as parents at work, they're going to go through this at school as kids, and. My daughter's mental health can survive it, but I'm very worried about my son. We had a, a whole team of experts in Texas taking care of him and keeping him safe and alive that we had to leave behind along with everything else we left behind and navigating this new space, which thank you so much for the wisdom you shared with me through text with these things, McKenzie. because it's really helped me navigate stuff, so I really appreciate it. Um, i good. I'm glad. This stuff really sucks, and to... All the other parents out there who've had to make this move, um, you are not alone. You are not alone. And, you know, I, I hope that those folks can find resources and people nearby who can stand with them um, because uh, it is. So even up here, still scary to navigate things every day. And, and you just you want to be around other people who have your experiences of anything. And finding a network of people who've made the move is important too. Not just people who are like you, but people who've made the same move you have. Because we need our own very unique safe space to share. We don't feel like we have sucked the energy out of a room and stolen the microphone from everybody else. Because we don't want that like we came here to in fact have the opposite experience not to, okay. have to happen right like, like we don't want to have to go through that anymore we want to be able to pair a sword down and put our knives away and you know take our rhetorical grenades and store them back in the ammo bin somewhere and forget it exists for six months we just want to walk through life um but having other parents who are going who have been through that very specific and unique circumstance um would be helpful and i I just, I just hope those, those other of you out there um, can find the same thing because we need each other very much.
1: That's it for now. Thanks to Mitch for sharing your story, for being a fierce advocate for your kid and for every kid that sits in your classroom. And thank you all for listening. Please remember that all of us here at Camp Wildheart, listeners and counselors are here to support you. So don't be a stranger. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out. We're on Facebook as Wild Heart Society, and we have that private Facebook group, Camp Wild Heart Community. We're on Instagram as at wild.heart.society, and you can find me on TikTok as at real Gender therapist. I think there's like a whole three videos. Or you can email us directly at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Also, if you're looking for someone to work with your family, Wild Heart Society offers a wide range of services from individual and group therapy to community events and gender family transition coaching. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires. And give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure that anyone who needs us knows that there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart.